Hello everybody, this is Paul Miller, and you're listening to the Tuna Town Talks podcast, located in Venice, Louisiana, the fishing capital of the world. Alright, how's it going everybody? It's Captain Paul Miller here with uh, Tuna Town Talks podcast, as well as uh, Mexican Gulf Fishing Company's intro captain. I'm here today with a very special guest of mine. I've been itching to get you on this podcast for, golly, ever since <laughs> ever since I started it, but I don't, I don't think I was quite ready uh, last year, but uh, yeah, guys, this is Mark Davis, a uh, t- short-time friend, but hopefully going to be a long-time friend, and uh, man, I really appreciate everything you've done, but go ahead and say hey to everybody. Well, uh, it was pretty simple. You, you told me you're not going to film with me on Big Water Adventures this year unless I agreed to do the podcast, and that's... <laughs> <laughs> Welcome to the podcast, everybody. Glad to be here. Awesome, awesome. Well, before we get started, I'd like to mention uh, my first sponsor. Um, this is uh, Yellowfin Vodka. He, uh, everybody should go out and try a bottle of it. It's made right here in Louisiana um, by a guy named Jameson. He's a great guy. Um, love, his, love his vodka. And I got a bottle right here for you, uh, Mark, so you can take this home. It's a little early in the day, so I don't think we're going to start the the drinks this early but uh yeah man that's yours and i hope you enjoy it i'm all about it brother it's uh i don't drink a lot but when i see a a oat otoro with a yellowfin painting on the label that says single estate vodka rested with american oak i'm thinking a little bit of lime and water is in my future mixed up with that yeah. I, I got at least i mean and it's captain paul miller sponsor so <laughs> toasts and fins up to everybody absolutely man it's really good with sweet tea lime and water is what i drink it with but i mean man it's it's really good i, I enjoy it a lot um, it's one of the prettiest so labels i've ever seen yeah, man it's so fitting for the it. podcast it's awesome <laughs> it's an iced up yellowfin mm-hmm. that's boat, what it the, is the label's like a boat of yellowfin too yeah that's, that's outstanding cool. <laughs> yeah that's awesome well, Mark, let's go ahead and get started, man. And uh, I guess before we dive into your your long back history, uh, so you're down here in Venice right now, and we just did a show over the course of three days. You want to talk about that a little bit? What we yeah, did? you guys were, I mean, you know, Mexican Gulf Fishing Company is, I mean, they're just money. They've got the captains that do everything, and at the end of the day, I had a shoot, long story short, I had a shoot that was blown. I've had a really rough spring because of weather. Uh, There's been, of course, you know, we still got stuff going on in other countries with who's open, who's not, where we can go, what we can do. And legit, I mean, this is exactly the way it went down. Wednesday or Thursday, I think it was Wednesday last week, I sent Kevin Beach a text and I said, listen, man, I, I had a shoot that got blown out. I can't go there. I really need to get some dates. I'm going to Panama here in about a week, but I I really need to get a show done. I've got about a six day window. Um, You know, what can you do for me? And he came back and said, listen, you know, the weather's supposed to break a little bit. Uh, He said his exact words, I cannot get you one captain for three days. However, I can most likely get you three captains for one day each. And and I, I said, well, what do you want to do? He said, I don't know, what do you want to do? And I said, well, why don't we do this? Let's just do, and this is exactly the way it went down. He said, let's just do a captain's choice show. He said, I'm going to give you three captains. And he said, and they get to pick what they want to do. And we'll tell you ahead of time because I bring all the tackle and all my pen stuff. And, you know, I, I have to have cigar on it and gamakatsu hooks, the whole deal. But I, I, I literally had no idea what to get, these guys were going to pick. And it turned out, I mean, we're done. You know, it, it turned out to be probably one of the better episodes that we've done because – uh, of course, I had Jordan the first day on Sunday and, and sword, 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 sword. 
And we went out, we started a show with a swordfish. And then the neat thing was, is uh, Captain Billy Wells and Captain Matt Miranda had scheduled themselves a day off to run way, way, way to the west and go deep drop. And on their own time, like a day off, let's go have fun and go murder a bunch <laughs> of 700-foot deep ground fish. And Billy said, hey, man, would you, would you be cool with that? And I'm like, more than cool. Let's go take a day off with Captain Billy and Captain Matt. So we went and did that and knocked them out. But that leads us to your host of the podcast, Captain Paul Miller. What did y'all catch with Billy? You caught a bunch of yellow edge yeah, and snowies. I had my first barrel fish on film. Wow. I have never caught a barrel fish on film. And I've been, put to you this way, I've been told at least a half a dozen times in six different states, you can't drop here without catching a barrel fish. It's just not possible. <laughs> and I showed them all it could be done. Uh, <laughs> Billy you bring those said, cameras, man. Yeah, they get scared. <laughs> it is, it is. And Billy said that, uh, hey, man, he said, hey, I'm not, I'm not going to tell you guaranteed, but I, I'd be shocked if you didn't catch a barrel fish. And, man, we caught a, a straight-up manhole cover magnum. I mean, it was it was a full-grown one, nice. um, which made me, you know, very happy. But then that led me to Captain Paul Miller. And Paul said, listen, man, I want to go old school. He said, I, I, I've caught bull redfish with you almost every single time. We caught them on top waters. We caught them on popping course. We caught them up on the flats. He said, man, we, we just – like sitting on jetties and soaking baits and throwing jigs and you know kind of laid back just smacking bull reds and damn it i got a school of fish <laughs> and i was like a school of fish we, we in so captain paul miller he pretty much got us done in about an hour and a half uh we had nothing left but cutting room floor and that means that if you catch another one it's going to replace another one so there's no point because we had yeah. We, we had six over 40 inches, dude. Oh, I mean, dude, we they had, had some, some monsters, yeah. man. Some of the biggest, I mean, I mean, I caught some there a few days ago, but, like, we, we definitely These caught some magnets. of the big ones. These oh, were yeah. straight-up five-gallon yeah. bucket oil drums. I was just this morning, guys. We, we got we got back to the dock. We left at, what, 6.30, got back for, for about 11, man. It was, and we could have left earlier. We were just actually, yeah. we kind of <laughs> quit filming a TV show and just sat around talking about life. So, right. yeah. Cool, cool. Well, man, um, you know, that's kind of what's going on right now. But I really want to know, um, like, how would you get in? For everybody, I, I don't think I mentioned Big, Big Water Adventures, but Mark Davis is the producer, director, we, the we, face of Big Water Adventures. He, you do it all, right? Yeah, we, you know, I've, I've got a guy that, you know, we've got a couple of production companies that actually do the cutting together and do the mm -hmm. fine. I'm not good at, at that side of it, but I do the executive production where I make sure the storyline goes and you know make sure it, it quite honestly is something that you would want to see on tv before it's over with but yeah um like when how'd I, you get into that like how'd you like where did it start you know like what it, it was not a plan at all i never i would tell you straight up until about 2007 which is about the year that we decided we were going to do it uh i never in a million years thought i'd be in television never wanted to be in television wasn't going to be in television i mean I, I you know i knew a lot of the guys that came before me you know uh, or literally most of them. I mean, Jose and, and Dahlberg and Sosin and Flip Pallet and Lefty Cray. And I got to meet all these guys because I worked uh, uh, with Shakespeare Fishing Tackle. And when I started with them in, in, in what would have been 92, we pretty much just had the ugly stick and really weren't a player much over that. I mean, we had, you know, some of the lower price point stuff, but we didn't have a lot. And we got a really good team of guys and had a great president. Um, Scott Hogsett, which I, I say his name because it deserves to be said. My boss ended up teaming up with another guy and ended up buying Lou's, Gary Remensnyder, and, 
you know, they've turned that into the juggernaut. It's been sold twice, and now it's a, a big name, and it wasn't before they did it. But what we did over the course of the 13, 14 years that I was there is we grew a company. We acquired Penn, um, All-Star. We, you know, busted out Fluger. And this would have been from about 93 to about 2006. Was that a TV show? or was that No, that was a, a, the company. Well, it was just a company just a selling, company. selling tackles? Yeah, selling, yeah. So, okay. well, what I did, so... Man, I, we, were, we were a group of about 12 guys and about 30, 40 people in the warehouse and, you know, some support staff that we did it all. So, I mean, I had Cabela's account at one point in time doing the sales side. Okay. But primarily what my deal was is I, I got hired in to, quote, unquote, do public relations. And the actual quote there from the guy that hired me was a guy by the name of Tim Rizzi. And when he hired me, I said, you know, what exactly are you expecting public relations to entail? He said, what did you go to school for? And I said, public relations and journalism. And he said, well, I was hoping you could tell me. <laughs> so I said, all right, well, let me put a plan together what I think I can do, because we had no budget at the time, advertising budget to speak of. I could pretty much trade out ugly sticks and promises. That was about it. So I started working with the magazines and the TV shows and all that stuff, and that's how I kind of got my teeth cut. Fast forward towards the last seven, eight years I was there, We'd acquired all these brands. We'd grown the company from about a $30 million company to about a $250 million company in sales. Wow. Yeah, and I had you know a $3 million ad budget. I was sponsoring a ton of shows, doing all the print budget, and so I got to know everybody. Got to know the other manufacturers, got to pretty much do everything that would be almost kind of like the support. And, and what really makes the Big Water Adventures the key that it is, is we go with the best people in the world, doing the best stuff in the world, best destinations in the world. Well, unbeknownst to me at the time, I was getting essentially my, my field staff together to do this because the guys that I actually had on my staff, I was in charge of that. I mean, we had a, a bass staff. I mean, I had some of the, the best names. I had the other Mark Davis was on my bass staff and Davey Hike, Mark Menendez, Clark Winland. I mean, we had a bunch of good bass guys on the, on the all-star and fluger side. On the saltwater, on saltwater side, I sponsored Mark Sosen. You know, I got to know a lot of these guys and see what they did. But as important as that, I had a field staff of 350, 400 guys in saltwater and freshwater, guys like you, Paul. Right, so, right. you know, these guys, I was, the, I was their sponsor. I was your Yellowfin Vodka sponsor. I was their rod and reel sponsor, and, and we had line at the time, and we had a lot of stuff. So what I got to learn is not only where they fished, how they fished, what they fished for, but, you know, I got to know them all. And that was, that was probably one of the most pivotal, mo pivotal moments for Big Water Adventures because when I started looking at why did I did it to begin with, we had been bought. Um, a company bought Pure Fishing. A lot of people think Pure Fishing bought Shakespeare. That's not what happened. It was, two, it was one company bought both of us pretty much back to back. And they bought Shakespeare after they, about six months after they bought Pure Fishing because we had a 1.2 million square foot production facility in Hong Kong that about half our half the people there were our people so we could do quality control we could do all the stuff without having to worry about you know we could standardize the parts and we had a leg up i mean we were one of the few companies that were really manufacturing our own stuff in our own factory was one of the reasons we got bought um which is that's fine but at the end of the day you know once you got to that point with the company i was actually learning a lot of the stuff that would ultimately lead me to do big water adventures and when I started looking at the market, there was a production company 
it was actually with a company called Pradco, which makes, you know, Bomber and Smithwick Cotton Cordell heading spot. They had an offshoot company called Commonwealth Productions. And they were interested in trying to promote baits. Of course, we're interested in trying to promote rods and reels. And the way this thing was supposed to go is I was going to be employed by Shakespeare and I was going to go ahead and do this television show. Well, what threw the big giant hand grenade in the middle of it was we got bought. So we decided, all right, let's go ahead and continue the show. And once again, to make a long story short after that, after about five years into it, you know, I got to looking at it. And of course, several guys were retiring, you know, on the saltwater side, there just wasn't a lot of really big destination adventure shows out there. I mean, this was about the time that like saltwater experience was starting and into the blue was starting. We all started very 2007, similar. you said, right? Yeah, ish. And ish, yeah. so, because I'm in season 15 right now, so I've got the longest yeah. longest run of saltwater show on Outdoor Channel. And we've wow. had the same time slot for like 10 years at 9.30 a.m. Saturday morning, Eastern Standard. But um, I started really looking at it when I got ready to leave Shakespeare as, okay, do I want to sign my name on something or do I want a job? And after about five years of it, the first five years, it just wasn't what I wanted it to be. It wasn't where I wanted it to be. It wasn't, and I don't mean like fame and fortune. I meant, I just saw opportunities with people like Mexican Gulf Fishing Company that weren't being realized to their fullest you know, potential. We were good, but we weren't as good as I thought we could be. And I don't know that I ever will be, but I'm better than I was then. So I went to him and I said, listen, there's two things that can happen here. Either I'll take it over or I'm starting over, or we're going to ramp it up to where I want it to be. They didn't want to invest the time and the money and the energy and everything that goes into it because, you know, a lot of people think, okay, Outdoor Channel pays you and you're on Outdoor Channel. That's, that's not even close. I'm a customer of Outdoor Channels. Right. I buy my airtime, I pay for it with the commercial spots and what I put on the show. The caveat there is if you make it over commercialized, nobody wants to watch it. And that's the one thing that I've towed the line on. We don't get over commercial. We don't, you're not mm -hmm. going to hear me say the same thing 10 times. I'm not going to tell you what kind of line I'm using every fish. I'm not going to show you the reel every fish. I'm not going to do the gratuitous stuff. I'm just going to knock you in the dirt with content and you're going to know what I'm using because you know who I am because we very rarely change yeah. sponsors. So I never intended to get into it. But the deeper I got into it, the more I started looking at the finished product and saying, I can do better. You know, that's right. when I started laying awake at night, figuring out how to make, you've seen the two-headed monster with the underwater mm -hmm. cam housings. Yeah. And, you know, people are like, how are you getting a halibut eating a jig in 200 feet of water? And I said, well, I figured out a way to build a housing on there. And it essentially shoots from 10 to 2 down current. And I put the jig in front of the housing and a halibut came up and ate it. Now... The other side is it took me four years to get that shot, but I did it every <laughs> time until it. I did. So but you got it. That's big water adventures was, you know, it was almost an obsession and a passion that developed because I was so far in it with my partners and my partners aren't all, it's a three legged stool, right? Mm -hmm. It's the people that support it and watch it cause they love it. Mm -hmm. That's, that's the first leg. The other legs, obviously the sponsors, but the third leg that makes it all work are the real stars of the show. Those are the guys like you and Captain Billy and Captain Jordan the last three days that come in, do what y'all do. I put you on a national platform. We get great coverage of it. We show it the way that everybody would want to see it. And that's like, it's over your shoulder. You're standing there. It's boom, boom, boom. And the best compliment I ever get is, man, I wish you had an hour long show because 30 minutes ain't long enough. <laughs> as long as they keep telling me that, we're good.
Man, I will say that's a big thing that separates your show from a lot is that it's it. There's a lot of fish in your shows. Yeah, there's yeah. not. It's not like oh we, you know. I mean, I've seen some shows, man. They'll catch like two redfish and make make a show out of it, you know. And I bore myself so quickly, <laughs> dude. I mean, it, it's funny when you're talking about the production side. So Phillips, my main producer, and he'll send me a he'll send me a you know a rough cut of the show, and he'll say. Literally in the notes, he'll say there are several spots in there that you're probably going to think that you don't want to hear your voice that much and you want less time on the rod. He always knows if he needs to cut something, just cut less time of me on the rod. If it's not something that is, you know, straight down from, you know, the mountain with on stone tablets with Ten Commandments on it, then I'd rather see a fish. And, and right. it, that's what I realized going into this, that if I really wanted it to be successful, there's so many awesome people and, you know, the, the VP of programming at Outdoor Channel, the, my favorite quote, his name's Mitch Petrie, and my favorite quote, and I know he didn't come up with it, but he says it constantly, as he says, never forget a rising tide lifts all boats. And as long as you remember that all those boats are with you, mm-hmm. yeah. you just continue to lift them. And that's, that's what I do. I mean, the places we go and the people we go with, they're the hammers, man. I'm just walking around with a bunch of nails, passing them out, saying, drive this one. Yeah, exactly, man. That's... It's really cool you say that because I think the same way is for like a lot of guides here in Venice, you know, is if we have more good guides, that's better for everybody. It is. It's not like, like I like to, you know, promote myself as much as I can. But at the same time, if, if I got 10 or 20 other guides down here that are really good, that's, that's good for me too. Right. And <laughs> I mean, it, it know, goes all the, all the ways. Yeah. You know? And it, I mean, if, if you do something good for somebody, you know, everybody always says it'll be returned tenfold. Well, Maybe it will, maybe it won't. But if at minimum, it's just going to make you feel good about yeah. what you did. Yeah, exactly. You, know? you so got to be, you got to feel good about right. what you're doing. You no know, I, I like going home feeling good about myself instead of you know going home feeling like I want to stick my head in a garbage disposal. Right, right. You know, so I mean, it, it, it's I've seen it both. You know, Venice has got a lot of a lot more mutual cooperation. There's a lot of places that don't. I mean, there's a lot of places that very I mean, clicky, right? Yeah, I mean, you, you see One guys tribe against the other. <laughs> yeah, you see guys doing selfies of, of him holding the other dude's drain plug as he goes by. You know, I mean, it's like it's. I've seen some stuff that I'm like, wow, man. I mean, I'm surprised you don't. Man, see some that. of the old stories I hear about Venice, it seemed like it used to be a lot more like that, but now, I mean, I mean, I feel like everybody's very nice down here. There's and, so much more business down here now. Yeah, you know? and I mean that. That's the thing that's neat, you know, and we even had the conversation with you, like, you know, with the triple tail. I mean, I know you were dying to show me that unbelievable. I mean, that triple tail you caught to this day. I mean, I I wake up in a cold sweat when I think about that thing. Mm But it was a double-edged sword because, Oh, dude, no doubt, man. I wanted to talk about this. Yeah, and I mean, that's that's the thing that, you know, you are doing a good thing. You're bringing bringing light to the resource, but you also know that going into it, man, I mean, people are going to come. People are going to come. There's going to be more guides targeting now. Uh, And a lot of guys didn't even know they were here. Yeah, I mean, don't get me wrong. After the show aired and I got a lot of attention for it and everything, I was – like you said, man, it's both ways, right? It was was from my (laughs) perspective. So, you know, we're sitting at a hundred and – almost 100 and I think like 184 episodes or 185 something like that and, and every now and then you'll get along you'll, you'll get something that is is special enough that even though people saw it I mean that's the neat thing about me when I first got started you know I, I tend to I tend to do a lot of stuff but when it's on video it's kind of hard to dispute it right so I very rarely go anywhere without a camera so pretty much anything I tell you I got it on video and even if it sounds crazy it probably happened and I can probably show it to you so I'm kind of past the stage where people, you know, oh man, that ain't no way, that ain't no way. Well, people that saw that show still didn't believe it. 
they're they're like I mean I had a lot of people that are triple tail guys <laughs> that call me and goes dude that, that fish can't it couldn't have been that big and I was like no it was bigger in person it was it, <laughs> it really it was, was I mean that that thing would have you know you'd have had six inch clearance on a manhole cover on that I mean it was just a that was a giant and if there was anything that I could have done differently I wouldn't have because we got it on film that's yeah. what That'll never, ever, ever go away. <laughs> it won't. You, you can see really Captain cool. Paul Miller catching the biggest triple tail you'll ever see in your life as many times as you want to watch it. Yeah. And that's the kind of thing that, back to the point, you know, the assumption used to be when I would do shows, and, and there's there's people that sometimes aren't real crazy to see me. If I go to a new destination, there's some of the people aren't real crazy to see me come into town. And they're usually not charter captains because they're usually looking at it, well, just blew the lid off that place because I'm, I'm going to take it on a network that's got 54 million households, right? So, you know, there's a double-edged sword there. But at the end of the day, what a lot of guides, I think, are under the misconception when they do a show or they see a show or whatever, okay, well, I caught that triple tail, so now everybody that sees this show is going to call me. Well, a lot of them are, but there's also going to be... I can't fill every spot. <laughs> exactly. There's yep. thousands of people that are, you know, right. and there may be a dude, you know, we're looking across Cypress Cove right now, and there may be a dude in a houseboat over there that watched that show, and yep. he can't wait until triple tails start getting thick so he can go out there and fish them every day. Mm-hmm. That kind of stuff will happen when you bring the... That's that's kind of the the, you know it's a positive and a negative in a lot of respects. Cause I, I mean, I have blown the lid off a lot of fisheries, by yeah. just going to them. I mean, one thing I will say about that is, yeah, it is a double-edged sword, but my intentions in this life with this podcast is, you know, I want to, I want to promote fishing in a positive manner. Yep. And a lot of people say the way to do that is to get more people into fishing and the more love that you have for what we have will in turn create more conservation and we'll figure out a way to, you know, sustainably harvest fish. And that's my intention. You right. know, I'm getting this platform. Sure. I mean, it's, I mean, you give me a platform on your show to go out and catch a big triple tail. Yep. And it was great. And golly, if it wasn't so big, maybe it wouldn't have got so much attention. It got but a lot of attention, bro. It did. There, there were hundreds of thousands of people that I'm quite sure were, were you know, putting yeah. that thing and backing it up about 20 times when you were sitting on the front of my boat looking like you were covered up with a triple tail deer. Yeah. But my plan with it is that hopefully, you know, the more that my name grows, the more I can, can continue to um, – talk about conservation sure. and, and, and get people in that mindset, you know, right, of, right. of, you know, we, we got to give back. Like just a few weeks ago, I, le- I released a 25 pounder. We well, and caught two point. and yeah. the guy was like, man, can we release it? And he was so thrilled to yep. release it. And I was like, that's what I want. Well, that's- but, yeah. But in your defense, dude, you have released every 25 pounder. You have. We talked about that. Yeah. You <laughs> I know? release a lot of big ones. I right. Have, you yeah. release all the big fish that you have caught but when you get, I mean, that was the Kraken, dude. Yeah. I mean, that was you, you, that was, that was two or three good meals and a, a, a mile less swimming from the state record. I right, mean, you got right. I mean, a fish like well, that. We got to have talk like this because they still have a five person limit on triple tail, which I mean, dude, you take three that's, guys, that is 15 triple tail. Yeah. That's uh dude, that's, they need to change that, man. That especially is way if, too if, much. Right. And if, if you can't, you know, my drop back and punt is if you get in the number guys, then just say, okay, well, can we both agree that if you have a really good day and you catch five 30 pounders, you probably shouldn't kill all of them. So how about we put a slot limit on them? Yeah. You know, or a, a maximum mm-hmm. limit Yeah. where, you know, 
if a guy catches a 40-pound triple tail, I don't want to stop him. He's got yeah. a freaking record. But you shouldn't be able to keep two of them. Right. You know, so, I mean, I get it. And it's, there's also a lot that we need to learn about these fish because they, they, they are migratory fish. But, like, where else are we catching 30-pound triple tail? I caught three right. in two days. Right. So, like, are these fish living here or right. are they are they moving? Yeah, and they might be 20 miles offshore for all we know. And, and that's the thing is we need, we need to know that type right. of stuff. So, you know, I mean, keep in mind, people, you know, if you'd have told people 20 years ago the bull redfish were in 100 feet of water off the reefs, they'd have told you you're crazy. Right. You know, and I mean, now it's like, I mean, I know guys in Georgia, North Carolina, South Carolina, I mean, they target them in the wintertime on the reefs in 100 feet of water. Right. You know, so it's common knowledge now. But just like with these fish, we don't know. I mean, yeah. who knows? Maybe they migrate 50 miles. Yeah. You we know? don't really know. Yeah. No. We don't. And, but, but what we do know is, you know, when you see the Shaquille O'Neal of triple tailed them, uh, if you see them once in your life, I get it. But at the end of the day, yeah, you're right. I mean, there's a lot of species that are, I mean, you know, everybody wants to eat fish. Everybody wants to keep fish. I am not a catch and release guy. If it's an edible species within your limits and it's something you want to eat, absolutely kill the heck out of see, it. See, and that's something it. I really like about your show because I like to eat fish. I like my customers right. to go home fish. But, right. like, you got to feel good about it. If somebody comes to you at the dock and you got a pile of fish, and they say, man, that's absurd. You shouldn't keep that much fish. If you got a good answer for them, right. something to where you feel good about what you just did. Absolutely. Then, then maybe you can. But like, if, if, if you feel like that guy might be right, or if you see somebody else do it, and that doesn't make you, like, you feel like that guy's an asshole, sure. then maybe you should reassess the way that you're doing things. Sure. No, you're right. I mean? <laughs> you're right. I mean, the, the, the biggest thing where I draw the line, there's only one fish that I freeze, and it's halibut, and there's no other way to get it home. Right. Um, I can't get it back from Alaska unless it's frozen. Mm -hmm. Short of that, I can tell you with an absolute straight face, I've not had fish in my freezer that wasn't halibut in probably better than 10 or 12 years. That's awesome, man. Um, I don't freeze fish. Now, if it's if you run out of fish, it's time to go fishing again. That's exactly <laughs> right. And, and what's really neat, back to the, you know, it takes a village type, you know, mentality of it. Yeah, I mean, I'll take, we come up here, I'll keep, you know, 300 pound yellowfin and I'll take them once a year, take them back. And I literally have 25, 30 people that have never had fresh yellowfin unless I brought it to them and I'll cut it in steaks, put it in Ziploc bags. And I'm literally like Santa Claus. I carry stuff <laughs> around to them, you know, pure fishing's in Columbia. I take it to some of the people that are there, but the way that my mentality works on that is if you're taking something that is that awesome and you're spreading it around, that's, you know, that to me is a good thing. Yeah, it's a gift. gift right, it's, it's a gift. Mm -hmm. But when you start, and and, I'm, and and please understand, man, if you, if, if, if that's what you do, I freeze deer, I kill deer, I freeze deer, I eat deer. All my deer get eaten, but they're all frozen after I kill them. So I'm not saying it's you're, you're Satan if you put a fish in the freezer. I'm just in a situation in my life where I'm able to go to enough places to where I can say, hey, yeah, I'm going to take 100 pounds of fish home. I'm going to give it. I'm, we're literally going to eat it in my family for the next seven days, every meal until yeah. it's gone. And I got neighbors and I got my mom and dad and I got people I'm going to give it to. I just don't freeze fish. But that being said, you know, where you and I were talking out in the boat today and what really kind of hit. Um, and I've done a couple of shows. I did one specifically that kind of irritated, I think, some people because – we went to the middle grounds. I don't remember what season it was, but we went to the middle grounds and we caught black grouper, gag grouper. Uh, I forget. We caught four or five species of grouper, several species of snapper, bunch of stuff. Everything was closed. And uh, 
I went back and went to Publix. Um, I think it was like Publix Food Line and Piggly Wiggly. And all of them had like three of the five species that I had caught in their fresh catch aisle. And then when I started talking about stuff like that, I started getting texts from people in Illinois and Iowa that are showing me pictures of American red snappers at their local Kroger. And, you know, I don't have the answer and I don't pretend to, and I'm not mad at either side, but there's gotta be something that's just a little bit out of whack when you can go out and literally we can walk to that dock right there and we can go out no more than what, two miles from the mouth of, of South Pass and get on any rig and catch all the American red snapper we want that we can't keep. Yeah. But I can fly into Indianapolis, Indiana and go to the local Kroger and buy them. Yeah. You know, I'm not, I ain't mad at commercial fishermen. I don't think people in Indiana should be not able to eat American red snapper, but it just really is interesting to me that you get to a point with the way you're managing a fishery to where going out and catching them yourself, it'd be the same way, you know, I'm an avid deer hunter. It'd be the same way if you could buy deer meat in New Mexico and we never had a deer season in South Carolina and the deer we're killing in South Carolina, we're sending to New Mexico. Right. You know, so not to pick on either state, but I, you know, I think there's a disconnect on, on both sides with a lot of it to where, you know, there needs to be a di- a common sense dialogue. And I don't think having yeah. like with the American red snapper, I don't think having a, what is it? 17 day season or six, yeah. whatever the heck it is. <laughs> it's I very mean, short. Right. Because all you're doing back to our point, and this is what we came up with. You're going to keep your limit every day because you can put it in your freezer. Right. Yeah, so exactly. you're going to go out every day with everybody you know and keep as many limits as you can, and you're going to cut them and put them in the freezer because that's the only time you can catch them. Yeah. Man, I've said it before. I would, I would much rather see them go down to a, a one fish per boat limit to where, sure. I mean, dude, one 12 pound red snapper. Sure. How many people are you feeding with that? Exactly. Maybe four or five? Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And if, I, you know, and if you can't like be happy with that, I mean, I don't know. I, I think, you know, there's a lot of days where I'd be more than thrilled to take home one red snapper. I mean, it sounds crazy, but there's bad days. It happens. And you would be more than willing to have that. Um, But one thing, just what what you said, and and I've I've told you this before, I think in the past when we were fishing, but whenever we first got to North America, we nearly hunted all the white-tailed deer and a lot of other species to almost extinction. Bison, man, they shot every one of them they saw. Yeah, exactly, because you could take them to a market and you could sell them to people and you could make money. And that's what they did until almost extinction. And then it wasn't through the efforts of conservation that we finally started seeing. Now we have, from what I, I don't hunt a ton, but from what I know from hunters, we have more deer now than we ever have had. Yeah, yeah. You take when, <laughs> you take coyotes out of the equation. We, you know, that's another story in and of itself. Right, but right. as far as actual human impact on deer, you know, biggest impact we make is, but you know, not to get spun off into the weeds, but you know, we knock down a thousand acres and turn it into a subdivision. Right. So exactly. That, that's about probably the biggest impact we have on them. But then again, you know, you plant some hibiscus bushes, and the deer don't seem to mind to be in your driveway. Right. But the the point is, is that like we're still doing that with our oceans. We are. We put a price tag on what we have out there. Right. And there's politicians and all these people and all these people making money, and they're distributing it across. I heard that on average. A fish fillet has traveled over 5,000 miles by the time it gets to your dinner table. I wouldn't be surprised a bit. And when you see fresh Alaskan caught wild king salmon in, I don't know, pick a state. Let's say North Carolina. Yeah. And see, I don't think I should be able to buy Alaskan king crab here. I really don't. 
I think I should have to take my happy ass all the way <laughs> to Alaska to get it because it'll be that much more craved. And just like I think that, you know, if they didn't sell point. if they didn't sell Red Snapper in Chicago, maybe would people would spend the money and come down here and come fish for a week and they would catch their own Red Snapper. And you know that that to me that's a better way to do it. Well, I, I mean, and, I, I and like, look, man, there's gonna be a ton of people who's like, "Well, are you gonna ban commercial fishing?" Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Is is it ever gonna happen? My lifetime, probably well, and, not. Yeah. Probably not. But yeah. I think that localized people to manage their own fishery and stop shipping all this fish all over the damn place, and actually allow like recreational people to build relationships with these local restaurants and stuff and sell it to them you know what i mean like we're all playing by the same rules you can sell it you can do we should be able to sell our carcasses man that's what we should be able to do i mean we we throw tons and tons of carcasses like i I know i mentioned it on my last podcast but if like whenever we have fish farms we literally go kill herring and then put them in the fish farms to feed the salmon at the same time, we are throwing away carcasses of fish that could literally be ground down and made into fish food. But we can't because we're overregulated. We can't sell the fish that we catch. That's true. So it's, I mean. Well, and you hit an interesting point that honestly I hadn't even thought about because it backs it up even further. Everybody's got their own thing, man. I mean, you, you know, you, while we're in Illinois, we're, what about walleye? You know, they got walleye up there. We can't buy it down here. So, I mean, it's. Why is that, right? Well, <laughs> right. And, and. I mean, to your point, you know, there's, I guess I've never really thought about what you just said because who said you, just because it exists, you ought to be get it, you ought to be able to get it where you're at. Right. You know, I mean, that's a, that's a, that's a really valid point. I mean, we've gotten to a point as a society and a culture that, you know, we feel like that we should have the best of wherever it is, even though we're not there. Right. So, you know, that's that's a, a It's that's, a new thing, man. It's that's very a relatively new. very um, new. How how long have we been shipping fish around the world? Right. I mean, it can't be longer than 60 years, maybe. Well, I mean, you watch, you know, you watch Gordon Ramsay on Hell's Kitchen and he's got five different kinds of fish that 10 years ago you never even heard of. Right. And he's getting them in LA. You mm-hmm. know, and it's like well, I I mean, there's been literally fish that I had to look up and I'm like, and it's from Argentina or it's from, you know, Greenland or something, you know, it's, it, and I'm thinking to myself, wow, man, that's, you talk about exotic and that, that's what drives your right. That's what drives the marketplace because there's so much money involved with the fishing from the fishermen to the distributors, to the politicians, they're all involved in it. Yep. And it's, I mean, I don't know. I don't know what the answer is, man. <laughs> we, just, we, we just need to go fishing. That's all there is to it. But you know what I mean? Looking out across this, I mean, just just on the recreational and sport fishing side, I mean, I'm, I'm looking across Cypress Cove right now, and the, the amount of money involved and the people that are doing it, and, you know, I, it's not that we're suffering and not able to do anything, but you know, that's got to be taken into account and consideration. I mean, if there's we a lot of money that gets spent yeah. in recreational fishing, man. Yeah. I and mean, insane. probably, I would say, I don't know. I don't know the numbers. I'm not going to pretend I do, but seems like a lot more than like what commercial guys. Have. <laughs> I can tell you that the, the, you know, we went deep dropping yesterday. We ran 150 miles each way because there were some numbers that Billy won or two days. Yeah. Yeah. Yesterday. Uh, and he, I mean, it was some phenomenal ground fishing, and it was an area he'd wanted to run to for a long time. 
But if you stop and add it up, the you know what what that fish costs per pound, I promise you, any commercial fisherman anywhere is going to get that kind of money. For it. <laughs> I mean, that's that, a lot more money spent yes, on that fish. Yes, and sir. It's, and that's the way it should be. Our fish should be a delicacy. Right. Any any fish in any ocean. Right. Should it, be treated like a delicacy. Right. And and that's something that you know. I don't know. I mean, hopefully at some point, I mean, if there's any positive thing to the red snappers, it's that there's a hell of a lot more of them now. So who knows? I mean, maybe they'll they'll flip the coin on some management on them, and yeah. uh, they're I know they're getting a lot of pressure because you know it's kind of tough to uh, to any way, shape, or form uh, deny that there's not that they're they're not just everywhere. I mean, suppose they don't live in water much over 300 feet deep, and and I. I have them on my underwater cameras in 600 feet of water, staring at the camera on the bottom. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's crazy. Yeah, and 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 I've got it metered. It was 596 feet to the bottom. And you used to never see them out there. No, and they weren't really on anything. They were. I I couldn't even tell. You know, there there wasn't a ton of visibility. This was last year, I think, and at Chad Kenny's uh, Bam Bam Charters down in Texas, and we were in 596 feet of water and. I told him, I said, dude, I know I'm catching these snappers on the bottom because we were dropping, we thought we were dropping all the way down. So I said, heck with it. I've got dive housings on my cameras down to 700 something feet. Dropped it all the way down, figuring we wouldn't be able to see anything. Man, you can see them plain as day. There's 30, 40 of them down there, and they really don't appear to be on anything other than just a ledge from about, you just know, 550 ledge, huh? to 596. There's not much on it, but they're there and stacks of them, swarms of them. And they're probably 60 miles from the beach that's so crazy yeah and i mean i mean they're you know when you get down in, in south texas the ledge is freaking 60 miles away i mean right, that's right it's there ain't far. much drop it just grow it goes gradual man so. that's crazy well um man back to like i really uh enjoy i know we talked a lot about conservation but uh i want to kind of get back to your your show is modeled to where you go to the best destinations with the best guys, and then they can come and do it again. Yep, and that's that's what you do, right? Yeah, you you hit the you hit the third attribute. Um, say 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 what your show does. So, so we're a destination adventure show. We hit fifty plus species a year. We go from Alaska to Australia. You know, if, if we're allowed to travel, um, in any given year, we'll typically go out of the country. You know, anywhere from three to five times. And when I say 50 plus species a year, it's usually 75 to 100. I mean, we, we, we hit everything from ground fish to the surface. And the biggest thing that, that I always try to make sure I do with that three-legged stool, there's nobody's more important than, a, than on those three legs. You've got the sponsors, the people that support it, and then the destinations and the actual people like you, the places that we go and the things that we do. And I try to keep everything balanced to where everybody wins and a rising tide lifts all boats. But the main thing that we never have deviated in any of the episodes of any of the shows I've done is that you can't make a phone call. I don't get special treatment. I don't get the, you know, the best times, the best guides. I don't get any of that stuff. Wherever we go and whatever we do, you can realistically make a phone call, talk to that person, and duplicate, if not beat, what you saw on television. And most of the time, it's beat it. Because we generally have to slow down when we're filming TV, and you're not just trying to catch as many as you possibly can. You're trying to get them on film right, and you've got to get them next to the boat, and you got to do this and this and this. And most of the time, what I get is is that somebody saved up their money 
for one of the bucket list trips. They went on the trip and their exact words are, I can't believe I did better than you did on the show. <laughs> and I'm like, as long as I keep getting those phone calls and those texts and those emails and those messengers, that's when I know I'm doing the right thing because they saw what I saw, what I, you know, when I'm trying to put that show together, I'm trying to, to give as big a, a big a cake as I can for what's actually there. I want you to see what the reality of the destination, the fishery, the captains, the locations, all that. I want you to get all of that. And if I do my job right, you don't even have any questions after you watch the show. You just want to go. And then when you go and it's all of that and more, that's why it's successful. No, man, that's, that's such a cool, like, I remember the first time that you explained that all to me. And I was like, you know, because I like, I watched the show and you don't really... I don't know what it is, but you don't really grasp it as that. I don't know. I guess whenever no. I, you know what I mean? You don't, no. re, you don't really take in the whole, what this show is supposed to do. Yep. But whenever you told it to me, cause I mean, I've been watching your show, dude, since I was 12 years old. So. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> but I remember when you explained it to me the first time, I'm like, man, that is such a awesome show model to do yep. that. You yep. know what I mean? And then, you know, it's more power to you, man. I really love the show. I really love, you know, what you're doing with all that because i love to travel too you know i like to go all these places and stuff and it's really it's a really cool thing that you're doing man and i hope you keep it going for as long as you can (laughs) i'm i'm uh i don't have any i don't have any uh plans to stop anytime soon i mean you know it'd have to be something catastrophic or unforeseen but i it's quite honestly a relatively easy business model when you've got so many good partners yeah you know i mean it's and and you know that I mean, dude, when you caught that triple tail, honest to God, if I could have swapped places with you, I wouldn't have because that's like your, right. I mean, that was, that was like, that was my unicorn, man. Exactly. With a drop time. I mean, that was, that was literally Captain Paul Miller's life quest was that fish. And I honestly would have felt bad if I would have caught that fish. And I, I mean, I told I was jealous of my client the day before he caught the 36. Exactly. And, and, and I was nothing but just, because it would have been great. But to me, my, my monstrous triple tails, big water adventures. That's what it is. You know, it's, it's accomplishing what I'm trying to do every single episode as close as I can get to it and make sure that when you're sitting on that three-legged stool, it's level. Right. And every, you know, the fans feel like, holy crap, that was amazing. The destination's <laughs> like, dude, man, you, you know, superhero status. Congratulations. And the sponsor's like, man, this is really neat what you're doing. The product's there. We're selling product. You know, it's pretty simple. If you go to all the places that I go from a sponsor's thought process, you go to all the places that I go. So you're in all these different fisheries with all these different types of fishing, all the different people that do it, inshore, offshore, everything that swims, you look at the number of people, the ratings that are that are watching the show, we got great ratings on the show, and the sponsors are looking at going, okay, that's my endemic consumer, that's people that are watching this show, everything from redfish to billfish, that's the people that are gonna use my products, and you don't need to see Mark, you know, standing there with a, a Billy May Sham Wow commercial <laughs> to get the point across, that when you see me pull the trigger on something at 6'3 and 255, I break stuff. And, <laughs> and typically speaking, when everything holds and Mondo comes to the side of the boat, everybody's done their job. And that's where, you know, my triple tail is the show. When right. the show's done and everybody's happy 
And I, I hear from all that's three That's the same that. yes feeling that I got, that's right? It, that's <laughs> it. And, it and, and, you know, you can tell that episode with you on that fish that, I mean, I, I knew I was just, I was awestruck. Yeah. I mean, I'm just sitting there just looking at this fish. And you, you looked at me a couple of times and I, I was like, dude, I don't know. I mean, my first <laughs> words, you said, how big is it? And I, I, I said, I don't know. I've never seen one that big. I've never even thought about one that big. You called it on the boat, though, and on the show. When I picked it up. 38. Yeah, when I like, picked hey, it up. 38 pounds. I, I said, like, I'm going to call it 38 pounds. <laughs> I do lift a lot of weights. I will say that. But I, I had to get my mindset out of I'm holding a I'm holding a triple tail, man. Let me just close my eyes and hold a dumbbell for a second. It's not a 40, but damn it if it's not close. So, but yeah, it, uh, that's, that's the kind of thing that at the end of the day, man, I'm just trying to, I'm just trying to make people watch something that they enjoy and that they want to see more of. And, you know, I mean, I've had over the years, I've had people that are, Hey man, you shouldn't do this. You ought to think about doing this. I'm constantly, I'm, I'm, I'm a work in progress and I always will be. Right. Um, odds are I'm stepping foot on the boat with somebody that's forgotten more about the stuff that we're doing today than I know. Mm-hmm. That's the reason that I vacuum it up as best I can. And what I'm really good at is bringing it out and yeah. putting it in the mic and having him do it on camera. Yeah. Yeah. One um, other thing I wanted to talk about, I mean, a little bit, I want to get some stories from you, but, um, one thing I wanted to ask you and maybe talk about a little bit is with this podcast, I'm now going to be doing like getting some sponsors for it. And I've talked to some people I'm trying to get the in the next few months. Anyways, I'll, I'll start having more sponsors, paid sure. sponsors and everything. And my my plan with it is that I want to promote products that I believe in and I use. You got to, man, or you won't last. Exactly. And to. so, like, I wanted, you know, I, I noticed that from you. I've learned from you. All the all the stuff you use is is really good. Yeah, it really I, is, I, man. I, I mean, be... it's it's tried and true. All the hooks, all the yep. like tackle line, all the stuff. I mean, you I don't use, use bad stuff. No, no <laughs> I've I've um I've had a couple of. I've had a couple over the years that I, I just, you know, not very many, but I've had a couple of companies over the years where I just had to tell them, hey, listen, man, I just, I'm sure it's a great fit for somebody, just not for me. And, you know, mm-hmm. I, thank you. And that's it. Right. Um, I can tell you that take Big Water Adventures out of it, take everything out of it, and I'm just going fishing. I wouldn't change a thing. Yeah. What I mean, I'm, what I'm, you have is what yeah, you're going to use. My right? confidence. Because at the end of the day, man, I mean, you can't substitute anything for the show. The show's got to be what drives your show, my show. It's it, it's similar. It's got to be what drives the business model. And you can't have a business model without something you believe in. It's impossible to sell something right, it you is, don't believe man. in. And if it sucks, I mean, it's... And, and you think of the... I mean, my sponsors, you look at the number of failures I've had on camera, you can count them in both hands. And that's over, you know, 15 seasons and and 180 something episodes i mean dude you've seen me the perfect example the one that that really got your attention is a couple years ago when that i had that 120 pounder eat that top water and it was 17 minutes hook up to hook out (laughs) i remember that and you're like dude i mean you looked at me a couple times you're like how much heat are you putting on that fish and i said all of it and you said i mean you said something like why and i'm like dude he's got a a slide dog with two and i saw him when he ate it he had two five aught Gamakatsu 4X treble hooks. He had four of the six hooks in the side of his jaw. I had 100 pound thread lock. I had a 150 pound leader 
and I had a 9500 slammer with 42 pounds of max drag. That tuna was screwed, dude. It was and, it was impressive. And, Whenever I saw that thing, and I was like, "Good, right?" I mean, dude, on the popper, I mean, yeah. it's like 50-50 a lot of times. And if you got a guy that's not that good on the reel. I yeah. mean, you're going to spend three, four hours. But right. whenever you brought that thing in in 17 minutes, I was like, <laughs> When I said, if you remember Beach, I said, I said, I said, we got circles. Y'all get the gaff. And Beach said, no way. And he walks up and he goes, way. Well, hey. He goes back <laughs> and gets a stick. But back to the sponsors. Man, I knew the, the setup that I had. I mean, that was a, a, a Pan Carnage 2 jig and rod. It was 80 to 200. I had the 9,500. I had the 100-pound thread lock. I had the 150 blue label. And I, I saw the way the fish was hooked. And I knew, I mean, Halco, you can't break them with a hammer. So, right. I, I mean, I knew that that fish was, I could heat it up as much as I wanted to. We'd had some issues with some sharks. I'm like, dude, we need to get this fish to the boat. And this is the one we need. If you don't have sponsors that you know you can put the heat to it, no matter what the category is, you know. I mean, right. if, if you've got yellowfin vodka and it tastes like piss, you're not going to have a very right. good experience, right? <laughs> right, exactly. So you need to have, when they come to you, the first thing you say is, let me go get my shot glass and let, let me try it. Let stuff. me try it, right, exactly. Right. So that's, if you start that way and you stay that way, it comes through. You can yeah. see it. I mean, people that watch my show, the one thing you'll never hear them say is, is oh, yeah, man, he's just, the only reason he's spot. If they weren't paying him, he wouldn't be using it. Yeah, I've man, never that's, had that's the way, I mean, like, you know, that's something I really want to, you know, help people with in the world that we live in today with Facebook and all this stuff. You, you get all this, like, it's like a Facebook rabbit hole. You mm -hmm. click on a couple things for fishing and then they start piling on you with ads with all this junk. It's yep. literally junk. Oh, yeah. A lot of it is. And so, like, I want people to be able to listen to this podcast, hear some of the products that I talk about. And go out and buy them and use it? them. Stuff that I believe in. I'm a sure. fisherman. I use them. All yeah. the people I'm around right. use it. This is what you need to use. I mean, I mean, dude, come on. Bubble Blade sucks. <laughs> they got really good marketing. <laughs> I'll say it. <laughs> I'll say it. You ain't got to say it, but I'll say it. <laughs> and then he come out of left field with that. Man. <laughs> At the end of the day, brother, you know, as long as you – because you just hit the nail on the head. I mean, I'm when, just saying, there's you, not a single guide in Venice that uses Bubble Blade. The only people I know are the people that are given to it for free. When, and that's bad. Right. When you... When people believe in you, then they have to believe in what you're doing. And you owe it to them to believe in what you're saying. Right. That's it. I mean, that's it in a nutshell right there. Thanks, man. That's good advice. I you know, need to so... <laughs> At the end of the day, I mean, I, I, I can't, you know, I've, I've had some, some sunblock companies that came to me wanting to buy the PSA at the end of the show. I mean, and if you watch Big Water Adventures, apply your sunblock literally and often, go see a dermatologist at least once a year, go to skincancer.org if you had any questions. Reason that I say that is because I had, you know, some bad, bad issues with skin cancer over the years, and I wanted to do my part to try to do a PSA. Well, a PSA is a public service announcement. Right. When it becomes, you know, pick a... A brand it's no longer real so though I would I mean I've got my own brands that I use that I believe in that I like and I would absolutely in a heartbeat have them as part of the show you do not have enough money to buy that PSA because that is me talking to my fans and my supporters and my friends reminding them hey you know slow growing cancer go get it taken care of you won't die 
you know that's that's, such an awesome message man because that's like you like that's you helping people right and (laughs) and and the second you make it brought to you by well you just sold out man and i mean (laughs) if it's enough money and you can sleep on your money in bed at night that's great but i'm just that's not me it's never been me yeah you know i mean it's 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 i'm more than happy to have partners in every aspect but when it overshadows the message, that's when they're not partners anymore. They're salesmen. And that's, I mean, I'm, I'm not there to sell you. I'm there to guide you right down right. the road. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's awesome, man. So um, moving on from that, um, what, man, like you've done all these shows for the last, what'd you say, 13 years? 15. 15 years? Yeah, we're shooting 15 right now for 2022. Wow. 2021's there and right now it's been, you know, I finished it. <laughs> The COVID season, we'll call it, but there's not a single mask in it. But the COVID season, uh, we uh, but we, f- we finished that one Christmas Eve day. Wow. Yeah. Well, I was going to ask you is is there any particular story or or even maybe one or two that you'd like to share with us that um, you know what whatever whatever an interesting story might be whether it was your biggest catch whether it was you know man some of the stories you tell me on the boat I'm like man this guy's got some really jam up stories but like i know some a lot of the stories that i've heard doing this podcast are when things go wrong so i mean i don't know if you have um you know one oh, okay. biggest all right, marlin all right you want like it. that no I'll, 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 so <laughs> all right you haven't heard this one so okay, cool <laughs> about season i don't know two or three um and i you know when you start something new you're you're kind of feeling your way through it and you've of course even though I had a background, you know, coming from the saltwater side and what I'd done up to that point, you know, I had a, a, a good confidence level, but you still question yourself, especially early on, right? Mm-hmm. So I go down to one of the top destinations in the world for tarpon at the time, which was Silver King Lodge. It's in Costa Rica, right out, you know, side of Rio, Colorado. Pretty much everybody who's anybody been down there at some point in time. And um, when the tarpon are going down there, I mean, it, it was amazing, right? Mm-hmm. So I went down there with big expectations and got one of the top guides, um, Marvin. Matter of fact, there were two guys I used down there most of the time, Marvin and Balvin. And uh, I had Marvin in the boat with me. And I think I was there for four days or five days. But where it just got ridiculous is, is I, I could not, if you would have given me a zipper and a needle and thread, I could not have zipped a tarpon up, stitching it on the beach if it was dead. I Every tarpon I hooked, I, I, I couldn't keep him stuck. And when I say I couldn't keep him stuck, I went 0 for 29. 0 for 29? Over a five-day period. Um, I'm, dude, it was the, the, the one, what made me just laugh my, my head off at one point in time, there's two old guys, and they've got four aught pen senators with fiberglass rods. Of course, I've got the latest, greatest. I'm trying circle hooks. Dude, I had ribbon fish and circle hooks, and I couldn't keep them stuck. <laughs> I mean, it, it was just one of those things where God said, I'm going to show you what I can do to you just so you like remember. That, <laughs> this The whole trip was like that. So these two old dudes are drifting out with us. Of course, you're drifting out with the river and the current and everything's mixing and you know that's when you get bit and it's, fish are usually pretty tight, anywhere from 50 to 75 feet when you hook them, so they're pretty high. They had four aughts and I watched these two old dudes go like eight for nine next to me 
And all they were doing was putting their head down and just cranking. And they're they're not even looking. They're just these fish are going crazy. <laughs> they're jumping. They ain't bowing. They're sitting. And I mean, it's they were doing everything you could possibly do wrong, and they couldn't have beat a tarpon off with a stick. I mean, it was. And I looked at Marvin. I'm like, what am I doing wrong? He says, I don't know. So Marvin starts fishing. Marvin ended up going like one for fifteen. Which made me feel better, but there is a show in the archives, I think it's season two or three, where we had 180-pound tarpon, and I played it exactly the way that it actually went down, and if you watched it, you'd have thought, this is the biggest Guggen idiot that I've ever seen in my life. He couldn't catch a tarpon if I threw it to him. (laughs) And I, even back then, I was like, you know what? I don't know what I did wrong. Maybe somebody will tell me, well, I've had tarpon expert after expert after expert watching they're like dude you didn't do anything wrong it was just you it was your time to just get your butt handed <laughs> and i'm i'm gonna tell you dude it took me a couple of weeks to wash the stink of that one off of me i mean i i was i if i if i didn't tell you it 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 shattered my confidence and can i actually even do this or do i just secretly suck really bad man right? i've had days like that i'll have a like I feel like you have, like, as a guide, you have, like, flurries of really, really, like, you're doing really, really good, and then you'll have this down flurry, and I'm like, man, am I really, am I really going to keep doing this? Did that just happen? (laughs) I mean, I I was, that was, of course, you know, that would have been, like, 12, 13 years ago, so needless to say, I was slightly more volatile, volatile with a little more testosterone than I have now, and (laughs) I, dude, I was just beside myself, and of course, back to that three-legged stool, you know, right, so. Did you actually make a show out of that? Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> they were jumping all over the place. Oh my God, some of the best footage you've ever seen of tarpon jumping off to this day. I mean, you will never see a better episode of tarpon jumping off than that. I promise you. And I literally, you know, I'm thinking, okay, the fans are going to think I'm a Guggen. You know, that my sponsors are going to think, why are we sponsoring this guy? I mean, he'd have been better with a hand line. You know, and, and, and of course, you know, the, the destination's like, well, at least he's showing that they're here, you know. <laughs> Obviously that we got him. He can't get him anywhere near the boat, but we've got Come him. back with better luck than me, right? Right. And, and you know, so I think the next year we went, you know, I, I, I was almost scared to go back. And they I went back, and, and we had a great trip. I mean, you know, we probably put, I don't know, 16, 18 of them on film both side, and I actually, you know, learned what it's like to touch one. So – um, but yeah, that, that kind of stuff, I mean, there's been, there's, you know, I will tell you, I think I've, I've gotten a little bit better at, at bird dog and some of the issues, but there's been trips where you just, you know, you start laughing because it's like, man, there, you, you wouldn't imagine that the stuff could happen back to back that <laughs> happens. Um, you know, another one, a, a quick one, I was down with Guy Harvey in, um, Panama and we were trying to tag a big rooster fish. And I don't know if you ever saw that one, but but the you know, this biggest rooster fish I'd ever caught. I mean, the overall length I think was like 70 inches and it was like 57 to the fork, but we we're trying to put a sat tag on a rooster fish and we had five days to do it, didn't get it done. I told Guy, Guy had to leave. I told Guy, I said, Me and Richie will stay and you know, I've got another, you know, three or four days and we'll try to get one if we can. Well, without going into all the comedy of errors, and this is kind of like a karma episode, um, we ended up the last day on the way out, we got a distress call. 
from a boat that was about ready to get broke up on the rocks. It was a transport boat that they were taking people from Panama City to the one of the villages a little bit south of where we were, almost Columbia. And the guy's wheel had stuck and he could only go like slightly to the left. And to make a long story short, we tied up to the guy and he went slightly left and almost drugged the 31 Birkin backwards and drowned us. But after we got him off the rocks, we spent the better part of about six hours holding him off the rocks because it was like a 130 foot vessel, 140 foot vessel. And we had a 31 Bertram with a single screw, right? Holy yeah. Lord. So we're holding them off the rocks till the, their, their, um, uh, supply ship came and got him and actually got him bridled up with, you know, the right kind of stuff. And that was the last day. And we didn't have what we needed. We didn't have, you know, I was, I was holding out to, put a, a sat tag, first one ever in the, the country of Panama into a rooster fish, but we had to have one that was, you know, 50, 60 pounds to carry a marlin size sat tag, right? right? And it was like 2.30, you know? I mean, we're, we spent the whole day doing this. And this is all on the show. Richie, you know, he says, man, we got one spot on the way in. We got two live baits in the tube. You want to go try it? And I'm like, sure, dude, whatever. We pull up, drop a bait down, didn't even have the second one. We put it on downrigger ball down about 60 feet. Pops downrigger clip. And I'm like, well, we got a fish on. We've been catching just some giant Pacific Amberjacks. I'm putting the heat on this thing. Yet again, I've got, you know, 80 pound thread lock to, you know, 150 blue label and a circle hook. And I, I mean, I'm, it's an 80 pound Amberjack. It's what it's gotta be, right? Mm-hmm. I'm putting the heat on this thing, and up pops about a 75 pound freaking rooster fish. You oh, know, nice. Comes up, comb up, just to do a drive by across the transom. Me and Richie about lose our minds, man. And it's like, oh my God, oh my God. This and is what we wanted, right? Smokes off, you got, right? You got paid back, man. That's awesome. Yep, yep. <laughs> and we get the fish to the boat, and we had spaghetti tagged like 40 freaking rooster fish. So we had a pit crew going. We got the fish in the boat had the sat tag in it length measurements scale samples fin clip the whole freaking nine and had it back in the water in like it was less than a minute it was like 50 seconds wow put it back down on the camera and swam it in front of the camera in about 60 feet of water and as we're dropping it back down we just kind of looked at each other and it hit us and i think both of us damn near teared up i mean it was like it hit us what just happened and richie literally looked at me and you know he said wtf and I, I, I just looked at him and we just hugged each other. Like, you know, it was one of those deals that the karma, yeah. And, it, and, it, and, and of course, Pretty that cool. fish carried that sat tag. I think it popped after 90 days. And they got more data on that fish. Did it hang around or did it move? It, it actually didn't move a lot. The, the thing that they learned about them is they very rarely go to the surface in daylight. Mm. At least that fish didn't. Um, or anywhere near the surface. They generally stay, they're more of once the, that, at least that fish that time of year in that, you know, that mm-hmm. specific area, it stayed in anywhere from, you know, about 60 to 120 feet most of the time. Hmm. So, I thought, don't they catch them on beaches and stuff? Oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, we catch them up there on, on top water all the time. But I'll tell you what I think. I think they're they're in that respect. They're similar to a tuna, and you got to keep in mind they're beaches. I mean, man, we speech our Wahoos with the baits ticking the rocks. Yeah. So yeah. you got blue water. It's close. I think rooster fish. I mean, I, I've turned around. I've caught 40, 50 pound rooster fish, turning around, throwing the opposite direction. And I'm sure I was throwing into 120 feet of water. 
So I think they're, you know, down there 80 to 100 feet, and they're just like an AJ. If they want, they'll just come up and just smoke it and go right back down. Yeah. You know, so um, – but, yeah, there's – there's been a lot of stuff that's been on camera. There's been a lot of stuff that we haven't put on camera, but it's always, you know, that's that's really what keeps me going is if things always went right and it was always easy, I'd probably get bored with it. <laughs> you know? It's just like life, man. You that's gotta, you gotta keep pretty it much it. But right? yeah, I'm, I'm you have I'm ups a, and downs, and yeah, <laughs> I'm gonna keep doing it as long as uh, as long as the network wants me on there and people still want to see it. If the ratings stay up, that means they want to see it, and I'll keep doing it. <laughs> that's awesome, man. Well. One last question before we wrap this thing up, man. Um, is there anything you haven't caught that you really want to catch? One of them was a barrel fish. <laughs> I did that on you this did trip. that yesterday. <laughs> you know, I would tell you that... I mean, what haven't you caught? I mean, you've caught everything. You've caught bluefin, yellowfin, yeah, marlin. And, and, I mean, I mean the pelagics, I've done most of them. But, you know, Australia kind of just messed me up. Australia, you know, when I started in saltwater, I, I was pretty proficient in freshwater, and uh, saltwater just was like landing on, you know, I told it, another guy, it was like landing on Mars. It's like, you know, you, you thought you knew what was up, and then it's like, what's that, what's that, what's that? Well, Australia's like that. There's Dude, when I, were, I went to Australia, I backpacked the whole East Coast, and that I had the same experience, man. It was so cool just dropping right. down and, and catching these bottom fish you never even seen before, right. never and even thought about before. Right. It's yeah, a you, different you, world. You catch one grouper, they call it a cod. You catch another one, they call it a trout. And it's like, <laughs> you know, I went there, I wanted to catch a coral trout, I wanted to catch a GT, I wanted to catch a queenfish, and a couple others. And after, like, the first day, you know, we caught those, and then we start catching all these different freaking, I mean, you know, just stuff that I don't even, I didn't even know what the hell they, I didn't even know what family they were in. I was like, well, it looks like that's probably in the freaking, you know, tuna family, but you're calling it a mackerel, and that looks like a mackerel, and you're calling it a Spaniard, and, you know, it, <laughs> it, 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 it just, it was so amazing to me. It was almost like, okay, yeah, we're still in the ocean, but you're on a different planet now, so... We call these, it's close to what this is, but it's not really. So that was when, to answer your question, yes, I, I got several new species on my list because um, Ben Knight with Ningaloo and Exmouth, Ningaloo Sport Fishing. Of course, of course now I, I, I look at all the stuff he does, and Eddie Lawler, I look at all the stuff they post, and now there's a lot of Australian species that have, have made my bucket list. But, you know, my bucket list gets shorter every year for the most part other than you know like different countries like australia but i probably get more of appreciation for each one of them that i hit because it's just been longer getting it you know yeah yeah i mean the, like the barrel fish with billy two days ago i mean i i have managed to not catch a barrel fish in some of the best barrel fishing grounds on the on you know gulf of mexico atlantic i mean i've i've been <laughs> in some best barrel fishing holes I had guys show me pictures, you know, we were here last week and we caught 31 barrel fish and I'm like, I can't catch one. And neither can you while I'm on your boat. So, you know, Billy was, uh, he was, he was pretty tickled because I had told him the story that, you know, the, the yellow edge is probably your target species for you guys. But I said, if I get a barrel fish, you're going to, you'll make the intro with a barrel fish. So he's in the intro. Right. Yeah. yeah. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah. I mean, have you ever caught a dog tooth tuna? I've caught the long fin, but not the dog tooth yet. Really? That's another one that's on there. The, that's, um, see, that's definitely on my list. Whenever I went to uh, Fiji, 
there's this guy there, and we went spearfishing. He was, he's a guy. I could hook you up with him. He's a, he, they, he has a really good operation. Yeah, actually. the dog tooth are just insane, man. And he, he told me how they, they uh, live bait yellowfin for dog tooth yep. tunas. And I was like, I might need to come back and do yeah, that. Yeah, you see the head on them things? <laughs> oh, dude. That's he honestly, catches some giants, too, 200 plus, man. Have, like have you seen uh, if you catch one and if you decide to keep it, they actually do a skull mount? Yeah, yeah, one. yeah, yeah. Oh my god! I tried to do one. I did the jaw mounts, but I haven't. I haven't done on, the skull mount. Yet. On the dog tooth, get the skull mount. It's yeah. it looks like something out of what it was Gorney Weaver with the freaking the alien. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, I mean it's just it doesn't it's awesome. Yeah. You put that thing on your wall, you'll have nightmares, man. <laughs> it's like if those things were twenty feet long, you'd never go swimming. Yeah. If I could <laughs> recommend any destination to you that I've been to, it'd be Fiji. I don't think you've been there yet, no, but it's I've been there. dude, the fishery there is awesome. That was really cool. Awesome. But um, anyways, we'll go ahead and wrap it up with that. Um, once again, guys, we're brought to you by Yellowfin Vodka. Please drink responsibly, but uh, some good stuff. But please drink. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> <laughs> a little fumble there. Yeah, that's it. That's it. Awesome. I appreciate it, brother. And if you want to, anybody wants to find me, the easiest way is bigwateradventures.com. That's my website. I hook you up with everything. Awesome, man. Awesome. Is there anybody else you want to shout out or anything? Shout out to everybody that loves me and everybody I love. <laughs> that makes it easy, doesn't it? Awesome. That definitely does. All right. Thanks, Mark, again. And uh, yeah, guys, catch you guys next time. Thanks for listening, everybody. Please give us a follow on Facebook or Instagram at Tunatown Talks. Also, if you'd like to book a charter with me, you can do so by visiting our website at mgfishing.com. That's Mexican Gulf website, where you'll find my online booking calendar with all my open dates. And remember, guys, always be safe while out on the water. 